We're killing cops. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Alpstrom. They were the fabled retired Texas Rangers who brought in the infamous Bonnie and Clyde to justice. And Netflix went and made a movie. Today, Come and Take It watches The Highwaymen, starring Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. But first, what's your favorite retired branch of Texas service? Well, I'm going to jump in and just say the Texas Navy, because boats, who needs them? (laughs) <laughs> we did a whole thing on the Texas Navy. Go back and listen to it. Yes. They planted the Texas flag on an island in Mexico, on the island of Cozumel in Mexico. So I still claim sovereignty over Cozumel. Mm-hmm. For Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fact. I mean, we conquered, you know, we conquered it. Yeah. Well, Darn right we did. Maybe they weren't a whole branch of service, and maybe they weren't really part of the Texas government or armed services, but uh, I will always have a special place in my heart for the Camel Corps of Camp Verde. Mm, it's just such a uh, wonderful and, uh, in hindsight, slightly ridiculous story of the attempt to put camels into service in the deserts of the United States. Okay, so, but Scott, now remember, I think that, I believe that the, the, basically what would be the Texas National Guard the, that stayed back in Texas during the Civil War did use the camels some, I think, for the, at least a, a little bit at the early part of the Civil War. I think you're right. And, you know, to find out for sure, um, I should go back and listen to our episode about the camels of Camp Verde. Yeah, we should. And go. so should our listeners. <laughs> Speaking of very old episodes, um, I'm going to say General Skandar Akbar's Army of Wrestlers, which formed Devastation Incorporated way back in the old world-class championship wrestling days, Dallas Wrestling. I don't they fought remember. Fought the Von Erics. They fought the Von Erics. Mm, who the didn't fight days. the Von Erics? <laughs> <laughs> Skandar Akbar was a great general. He was a Arab sheik who talked like he was from like North Dallas. <laughs> because he because he was from north dallas oh my gosh so for those tuning in this week we uh ran a best of our old bonnie and clyde episode and i hope that you were able to go and watch the most excellent movie on netflix the highwaymen i guess first before we start i'll just a quick quick temperature check did you guys like the movie i did i enjoy it very much I thought it was really great. I thought it was an excellent movie. Um, uh, directed by John Lee Hancock, and uh, who uh, has also done a number of movies, including the uh, recent, well, relatively recent Alamo movie. Uh, and uh, the music was by Thomas Newman, who is one of my favorite uh, uh, composers of movie scores. So uh, I thought the, all around the cinematography was great. <clears throat> Music was great. The it was a good story, good acting, good performance, and and it seemed to be relatively historically accurate in a lot of ways from some perspectives. We'll talk about that a little bit. Well, I suppose we should start with our first disclaimer. We're going to let Sean recap the events of the film, then we'll pipe in with some fun trivia and some of our thoughts as we go. Right. Yeah. So now I I, I hope that people will go back and pause the this episode. And what episode is Bonnie and Clyde, Mike? 
uh, was last week in the feed. We re- resurfaced. Oh, it. that's true. So just go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, it's three years old. Uh, but Bonnie and Clyde, if you don't know who Bonnie and Clyde were, they were a young couple uh, in the 1930s during the Depression from the Dallas area who went on a crime spree for about three years, uh, two to three years. And uh, in the end, uh, they were uh, uh, stopped. Uh, and uh, But they were one of the more notorious and popular uh, criminals, criminal gangs in the public enemy era of American law enforcement, which was the the, the John Dillinger and the Peter Floyd and babyface Nelson type of criminals. So uh, the story is set in 1934, which and Bonnie and Clyde have been on the run in, in uh, Texas and Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri uh, for the previous two years. Uh, and they have recently broken out some uh, associates, some gang members, out of the out of a prison farm in East Texas, um, and they killed one of the guards. And so, uh, Governor Ma Ferguson, who we talked about uh, a while back in an episode, uh, she has had it. She's done with them, and she tells the head of the Department of Corrections he needs to do something, uh, and he says, "You you let me do what I need to do. You're not going to like it." And it's hire back Frank Hamer, the Texas Ranger, to track down those criminals. And so some background, Ma Ferguson, who was the g- governor of Texas, the wife of Pa Ferguson, who was uh, the only governor to be impeached in the state of Texas, uh, she was now governor for a second term. And when she'd run for governor again, she, the Texas Rangers had opposed her. And so when she became the governor, she got rid of all of them. She fired them all. Uh, had the legislature dissolved them. So there's no Texas Rangers at this point. And the uh, FBI and the state police uh, can't seem to get these uh, criminals. So the chief of the Department of Corrections, he goes to talk Frank Hamer, who's played by Kevin Costner, into coming back out of retirement to track them down. And he's Hamer's older. He's an older guy. He's been a Ranger for a long time. Now he's retired, doing private security for the oil companies. Uh, But he talks him into it. He finds his old partner, Manny Galt, who's played by Woody Harrelson, and uh, Galt is living in his farm, which is under foreclosure. He's broke. He's living with his daughter and his grandchild, and he's a little bit of a drunkard. But uh, Galt uh, actually talks his way into the, getting Hammer, uh, getting Hammer to bring him back on, and they go out on the road to go find uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Now, I, will, I want to stop you there and just point out a fun, fun trivia fact: is that this script. And this story has been floating around for a number of years. The original pitch uh, was that Paul Newman and Robert Redford would play those Rangers. And this was back in yep. 2005. So when Paul it, Newman was alive. It, well, yeah. But it, I'm just saying that this script, this script and this story has been floating around for about 14 years. And Universal yep. owned all and the rights, which now that all got bought up by Netflix. And then they produced yep. it. And in 2013, Woody Harrelson was supposed to star in it alongside Liam Neeson, but uh, Liam Neeson left the project and therefore uh, opened it up for Kevin Costner, who had been approached to play the same role originally uh, 10 years earlier, but turned it down because he didn't think he was uh, old enough to be a grizzled retired lawman. So times change. Time comes for all men. Uh, so they uh, go to Dallas, and where 
so one of the things that Frank Hamer keeps saying is that the crim, that, that criminals always go home. And Dallas is home. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde's family live right down the street from each other. Uh, uh, Clyde's dad has a uh, service station in this neighborhood in South Dallas, or, or, or sorry, there's this na- uh, service station in West Dallas. And so they go to this neighborhood where the where the the Barrows, uh, Bonnie, uh, Clyde Barrow, and Bonnie Parker, their families live. Uh, and it's quickly apparent that a the families are all in the neighborhood is all colluding. Uh, to keep things secret and to help them come in and come and go from their homes, and B the Dallas police and the uh, I'm sorry and B the state police and the FBI just don't have what it takes to find them. Although one thing that's apparent is that Hamer and Galt are also a bit old, and they get they get in a foot chase with the boy that's running messages, and they get winded, and uh, so it's obvious that they're kind of out of out of shape in terms of being able to to really keep up physically at this point with the, with the younger folks. But they meet a sh- the sheriff of Dallas who does not like Bonnie, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. He does not like Clyde Darrow at all. And he introduces them to Ted Hintons, who's a friend of the Bonnie and Clyde's from when they were growing up, and he can identify them. Um, and so what they, they do is they actually find out that there was a double murder of a police officer, uh, two police officers near Grapevine and near a farm. So they go out and they find some evidence and they kind of show they do know how to police a a crime scene, even in the way the FBI doesn't. Um, And then they just start tracking the the criminals down and they're just driving all over. They go out of their jurisdiction in Oklahoma and in Kansas. Uh, They nearly catch them in Kansas, but then uh, the gang escapes them and, and heads back. And so they come back to Texas and... They uh, actually, there's a really great scene where uh, Hamer visits Clyde's father, who's played by the great character actor William Sadler. They have a really, really good scene uh, that's that's really well acted, and essentially you kind of find a lot about Hamer's background and what's his motivation and what's driving him. And you find out that uh, Clyde's family is really actually miserable with this whole situation uh, because they're. They know that Clyde will not be taken alive, and he's just getting worse and worse and more and more brutal and violent. And uh, he it's just a really, really good scene. Um, my, my favorite part was when he turned to the camera and said, they melvined me. No, he, no. he did not do that. He did not say that. <laughs> no, oh, that's a different movie. Different, that's a different, different movie he's in. What he said it. was, when you're hunting down Bonnie and Clyde, don't overlook my bot. <laughs> <laughs> do you... Uh, younger viewers will recognize William Sadler as the president from Iron Man 3. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. if you've seen uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption on re- yeah. repeat a million times, he's in there. But He's in it. Yeah. You can see his button die hard, too. Yeah. But I, I would bring it to this this thing of there. One fun, funny critical review of this film said, if you like if you like watching old men looking at maps, this movie is for you. <laughs> yeah. They do a lot of yeah. good map work in this film. There's yeah. no wasted opportunity on that. Yeah. I, That's I, true. There's a scene before this, though. I think it's before this. Is that where he goes to the gun store? It's before that. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, when, there's uh, a, there's, that's early on. Yeah. yeah. So there's a scene early on I want to go back and just highlight that I did enjoy. He goes into a, a small town, and he stops in, and he says, uh, let me see that. Let me see this. Let me see this. He's buying all these guns. He's looking at all these guns. And he's, 
how many this, how many that, and, and he gets loads up an arsenal, and he's like, "What do you? Well, which one will you take?" He's like, "Take everything." And yeah. so he's they were he had this hopped up V eight that he bought his wife. He had uh, that he was driving around in, and then he had an arsenal in the trunk. So you know he did not. Uh, he he truly lived up to his one riot, one ranger, you know, ethos of the old Texas Rangers. Oh, and he still had his still had his old six his old six shooter too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, so there's uh so they come back to Dallas. Uh they've they try to find him in Amarillo. They just can't. They've come back to Dallas. It's clear that again they've the, Bonnie and Clyde have come back into Dallas and they've visited their family. Um, but uh they actually convince the prison to have another prisoner who was an associate of the gang and had tried to break out and tried to go out with him, but they he just hadn't made it to the car. They have him released on furlough from jail, and then they find him at a bar in Dallas. Uh, and Hamer talks to the guy and basically kind of tells him, you know, if you if you help us, we'll make sure that uh, you go to a federal prison where you won't have to work anymore. And but if you if you're lying to me. Uh, you tell me something wrong, something that's not true. I'll make sure that you're back on the back in the farm and you get the hardest time. You know, the typical, you know, good cop, bad cop, but both of them are the same cop, you know, deal for the for the the young criminal. Meanwhile, uh, Woody Harrelson's character goes goes to to take a leak in the bathroom. And these three these three zoot suit tough guys kind of follow him in. One of them pulls out a switchblade and says, I hear you're looking for. For Clyde, Clyde is king in Dallas. Well, Harrelson pulls out his pistol, pistol whips the guy, sticks, sticks his head in the toilet, and <laughs> uh, uh, puts his foot on him and holds his, holds his head down in the toilet and turns the gun on the other two guys and says, I don't care about kings. I'm a Texas Ranger, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that was the best line in the movie, I thought. Well, that's the thing is that they, they created this they created this interesting the first half of the movie is just about Ma Ferguson and that the the Rangers are old, the Rangers are gone, we don't need the Rangers, that's what the FBI is for, the police can do this. And they create this you know, and and thinking about this movie and I know I'm interrupting here, but no, that's but fine. thinking about this movie is, is that that first half is really alien to me because all of us who've grown up in Texas, the Texas Ranger basically represents the highest level of law enforcement in the state. They're our own private FBI, you know that, and and there's such a history to to them, a complicated history, but a great history to them that that's really celebrated and elevated in Texas. So you see this. Um, amazing performance of Ma Ferguson saying, we don't need the Rangers. I'm not going to, you know, no, no, thank you. And, and then there's this turn of, okay, they're old guys and they make them feel very old, especially when they try to run a little kid down on a foot chase, which is hilarious. But they, they, they get to this middle part where you realize they're very, they're very capable. They're just very old and they're looked at as, an anachronism as as, relics. as a joke. Yeah. yeah. They're relics. And why do we, you know, they're not given any respect. And, and in fact, there's a point where they're trying to when during that chase through Kansas, where the FBI turns them away and they just, they have to drive through a field and drive around the police to continue the chase. Yep. And point of order or for, of accuracy, uh, technically it was not the FBI. It was the, oh. 
Bureau of Investigation. The the actual FBI was not uh, officially oh, yes. created the until the precursor. Yes, gold yes. sticker to Mr. Although, Scott, which although, they they fair, refer to it as the FBI in the movie. Yeah, which okay, is incorrect. It yeah, is but an they, anachronism. But, right, but but Hoover, uh, Jager Hoover, was still in charge of that original bureau. So yes, it's anyway. At any rate, you're correct. Um, and and technically, they were not Texas Rangers. Also in history. Uh, and in the movie, they were not actually Texas Rangers. They were special deputies of the Department of Corrections, the Texas Department of Corrections. So, uh, but they were Rangers. They still had their Ranger badges and and flashed them and used them and and called themselves Rangers. So, um, so the uh, the young guy uh, tells Hamer that uh, Bonnie's going to get her hair done at her mother's house uh, the next day, and they go and stake out the house but they don't ever see her come and they go back and they find the young guy who was on furlough the criminal and they find him he has been beaten to death um and he's dead and so they knew that somebody had given him away and that he had he had paid the price and so they're about they're ordered to come back home but uh uh hamer says that they, they, they always go home. Outlaws always go home. And so they're looking at the movements and they're looking at the maps and they're like, hey, well, where where do they not have warrants and where do they not go or where do they not have warrants? And so they figure out that they don't have warrants in New Mexico and Louisiana. And then they look and they say, well, neither one of the Bonnie and Clyde have family in Louisiana, but they look at associates and say, does, does any of the other gang members who are with them have family there. And then they figure out that one of the gang members they'd broken out, his father, lives in uh, northeastern Louisiana. So they go to Louisiana, and they go into the house where this guy's father lives, and they find that famous dress that Bonnie Parker wore in that that picture um, where she's holding the cigar and the Tommy gun. And they also find a, a real small suit that they know belongs to to Clyde Barrow. So they're they're very sure that they are going to Louisiana. They don't have a warrant. They're not committing crimes there. So since they don't have a warrant for their arrest, they're not committing crimes. They can use Louisiana as a safe area for for getting away. So they go to uh, the local sheriffs, and there's a great scene where Woody Harrelson. You know, they're like, "Well, we we, we should get the local sheriff involved," but. You know, local sheriffs are generally corrupt. How do we prove that they're corrupt? So Woody Harrelson goes in and says that he's, I guess, did he say he was an attorney or a minister, a pastor for the the Parker family? Uh, He said parson, so. Yeah, he says he's a parson, he's a preacher, but he has an envelope full of money. And he says, this is a thank you for for taking care of those fine young people. Uh, And the, the sheriff and his deputy basically knock him down on the table and pull out a, a frog gig and are about to stab him with it. And he says, all right, you're the people I'm looking for. And he pulls out his badge and says, you know, cause they're like, we don't take money. We don't take bribes in this County, uh, in this parish. And so, uh, it turns out they're not corrupt. So they enlist them, uh, and they're going to go, um, they're going to go trap Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker. And so they have, they go and get the father of the man and they tell him, you know, if you're, we'll keep your son safe. Uh, you have to help us basically entrap him and get him in a spot where we can get him. And so he says, well, there's a road that leads to the house and I'll, I'll help you and we'll get him. We'll, we'll talk to him and tell him to come, tell them to come out to the house. 
And so they get the uh, young sheriff's deputy from Dallas, as well as another deputy, to come out and help them as well. And they set, a, set an ambush. Uh, and famously, they, they set this ambush on this road, and they set up the truck of uh, the other guy, the, the, the other gang member's father, uh, as if he's at a flat. And they wait all night, and then right as the uh, uh, as they're waiting at night, they're playing cards, and uh, it's an interesting scene. Woody Harrelson talks about when his first deployment with Hamer, they uh, they killed over fifty Mexican outlaws, uh, and uh, hey, uh, Galt ended up shooting his first person, which was a thirteen year old boy um, that was just traveling through, and he accidentally shot him. So. So they talk about it's a great scene where it kind of shows these men, you know, are hard men, but they have to live with the consequences of what they've done. And they and it's not like they're just superheroes who who just gun down people and, and brush into danger. And, you know, they do they do have the weight of their their past and their history. So at any rate, they set up the ambush uh, and the um, Bonnie and Clyde Turner turned through the corner. And Hammer's, Hammer's out there, and he orders them to stop, and then uh, then he pulls his gun, and the he and the other men begin shooting up the car, and a hail of bullets hit the car and kill Bonnie and Clyde at that moment. Um, so, uh, and then after that, the car is towed along with Bonnie and Clyde's bodies into Arcadia, Louisiana, and we talked about that on our episode. It was mobbed by a huge crowd of onlookers. And then later on, uh, Bonnie and Clyde were both buried, and thousands of people came to their burial. Um, and uh, but their reign of terror was over. So, um, so the interesting thing I thought about Bonnie and Clyde in this movie is that Bonnie and Clyde are shown. Bo- Clyde is never shown until the very end of the movie. Bonnie is shown a few times from from a distance. Um, from long shots. And there is one brief moment where you see her face towards the middle of the movie. But then at the very end, as the car is pulling up and Galt to stop them, I'm sorry, as the car is pulling up and Hamer stopped them, then you see them sitting in the car. And the actors that they cast for these these parts were impossibly young. I mean, they were they looked so young and baby faced. And in truth, Bonnie and Clyde were in their early twenties, barely, barely out of their teens. Uh, so, uh, and they were both very small people. Bonnie was tiny and they made several comments in the movie about how tiny Bonnie was. She was only about 90 pounds. Clyde was a real small, slight guy, but I think that it does a great job. The movie does a great job of not sensationalizing Bonnie and Clyde, not, uh, romanticizing yeah not romanticizing bonnie and clyde which the the bonnie and clyde movie of the 1960s starring warren Beatty and faye dunaway certainly did romanticize those characters uh they don't romanticize bonnie and clyde and and they they make they are the villains they are they kill cops they they gleefully murder police officers and other and people but at the end Hamer and those men kill a few, two young people who are who look so innocent in that shot in that scene. So I think that was a really good decision to make. And they don't rom- and so that that's good. So they didn't romanticize the antagonists in the movie, but they don't ro- really romanticize the protagonists either. Uh, 
And that, and I think that was a good filmmaking decision as well, is they don't elevate the, the character and the actions of Hamer and Galt. They are flawed people as well. Uh, and they have their own issues that they, they are carrying. So I, I, I really like that. Yeah. And I think they even did a really good job of, um, kind of turning that around. It's like, yeah, everybody likes to think about the um, the popularity and the famousness of these gangsters and these murderers back in this time period. And what they do in this movie, I think, is do a really good job of showing, well, that really got in the way of law enforcement being able to do their job. I mean, there's one very specific scene where um, Galt has a drop on uh, Bonnie or Clyde sitting outside a pharmacy and uh, a mob of... Um, you know, people, you know, sees sees the car there and goes and they mob the car, you know, Bonnie and Clyde's car and get in Galt's way so that he can't, uh, you know, do what he was there to do. So um, and then there's other aspects of, you know, it's like the, the public um, interest, you know, people don't want to give them information because they think they see them as like Robin Hood type criminals mm-hmm. and such. But it's like, really, they're not, you know, like you said, they were they really um you know, they were horrible murderers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that is that is that people don't uh, realize and remember, and I think the movie did a good job, a really good job of showing this is this is the the height of the depression, the very height of the depression. And there were there were several scenes. The scene in West Dallas, um, you know, the, the Parkers and the the Barrows lived in homes, but you know, right across the street were were tents, people living in tents. And then there's another scene where they actually the the Bonnie and Clyde and their gang had hidden hidden out or passed through a tent city in Oklahoma, uh, a migrant camp. And the thing about it is that that struck me and my and 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 Cassandra and I, my wife and I, were watching this. Is is it struck me is is that you have to remember at the time nine million people in America were unemployed, and that's just workers, people in the workforce. They, they believe that up to up to 20 million people were in families where the there was no breadwinner for the family and you know that that people were migrating millions of people were uh, migrating around the country in their cars and, and I remember in the movie sea biscuit he talked about that that you know hundreds of thousands of people hit the road and the only thing that they had left that they owned their car their vehicle and that was you know and so people were people were not just poor people wished that they were poor like they they wished they could elevate themselves to poor they were destitute in this time in american history um it's the only time in american history where there where more people migrated from america than to america um it was the the during the, the great depression and so there was there was a lot of there was a lot of poor people and there was a lot of anger at authority and at uh, banks and Bonnie and Clyde robbed banks and anybody who robbed banks, people, people supported and they agreed with, uh, and they, and they cheered on. Uh, so, you know, for a while, Bonnie and Clyde were celebrities just because people were angry with authority and angry with the system. And that was just a big part of it. Now, as we talked about in our episode and his history shows by the end, people, People were fascinated with Bonnie and Clyde, and it was they were popular. But, but a lot of people were also turning on them because of the number of police officers that had been killed, uh, and because of because they were actually starting to, to to prey on innocent people, you know, civilians, so to speak. So, you know, that was a part of it. 
Yeah. Um, kind of go back a little bit. You know, we talked about how these guys were former Texas Rangers, and notably they were Texas Rangers in a time period before there were um, more formal, larger police organizations, right? Because like we stated before, this was before the FBI was really a thing. Um, we talk about, you know, them going Bonnie and Clyde going to places where there weren't warrants because law enforcement was still by far a uh, a localized thing, you know, with a bunch of individual jurisdictions. Um, and, and so when they, they bring these guys back, you know, to hunt them down, it's like it's very clear from the beginning. It's like we're not expecting you to go out and try and arrest Bonnie and Clyde. Um, they bring them in to, you know, basically as – you know, deputized hitmen, yeah, which is, yeah, basically. which, well, high women is where the name of the, yeah. the show comes from or the movie comes from. And, uh, so I, I thought that was interesting because I had, that was not clear to me from the reading and, and other stuff that we had, had talked about before that they were specifically tasked with, you know, eliminating Bonnie and Clyde and not with, uh, trying to capture them, which I think is a very, um, scary and, uh, weird thing for us to think about in in our day and age yes they were out to get their men and they were not going they did not believe they were going to take them but the movie did a good job of raising the stakes of the fact that they very obviously targeted law enforcement they were killing police officers they weren't you know, tying them up and or injuring people. They were they were killing people and leaving people in their wake, and they they raised the stakes so high. But again, it was it it seems like a script kind of a thing you would do, except for the fact that we know that how the story ends. We know that these guys went down. They set up an ambush. They sat in the woods for two full days. They were about ready to, to call it in, and then they see the car, and you had. Six armed officers that unloaded, uh, you know, going back and looking at the, the stuff from our original episode, you know, they put 130 rounds in the car just with their automatic rifles. They, they had shotguns. They had pistols. They shot until the car stopped moving and almost rolled over in a ditch. They just didn't. It, the, today we would call it overkill. You know, it's just there was not going to be any question about whether, whether somebody survived this or not. They simply just eliminated the problem. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I do think you know not to to paint these guys in completely horrible light because um, I thought they also did a good job of showing the struggle that these guys were going through. It's like the the story that you mentioned, Sean, that uh, Galt tells about the the first time he went out with Frank Hamer and you know did you know this horrible massacre that they um, you know they there was a build up to that right. It's like there, again, there's a reason why they did it that way. It's like they tried to do it. Um, in a more civilized way, and they kept getting shot at, and they kept losing a man every time that they tried to send someone in to capture those outlaws. And then finally, as a last resort, they went in and just shot everyone. Um, and you kind of see a reversal of that um, at the end of the film, you know, when they, they finally catch up with Bonnie and Clyde, and um, Hamer is like, well, at first they're just going to be like, we're just going to gun them down. And then he's like, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to present myself. And, you know, so make make at least that token attempt to try and arrest them before they, you know, unleash all of their their machine guns. So it, it, it does a very interesting back and forth along that line, I think. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then yeah, from a from a historical perspective, the posse that was there, 
Um, no one had jurisdiction. The Louisiana sheriffs did not have a warrant. Therefore, there was no reason for them to try to arrest Bonnie and Clyde. There was an extradition or anything like that at the time. Hamer and and Galt were agents of this Texas State uh, Department of Corrections. They had they their their jurisdiction ended at the border. Uh, the two sheriff's deputies, their jurisdiction ended at the Dallas County line. So the fact that they they did this, that they they went and hunted down Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, technically, you know, in today's age, they they probably could have been convicted of murder. Um, but you know, they were never questioned on it because ultimately, Bonnie and Clyde were wanted criminals. You know, they were wanted by the federal government and. They wanted dead, dead or alive, and so they ultimately that's what s- sealed the deal. Uh, the other thing I wanted to go back to, Mike, is you talked about um, that Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, they targeted mm-hmm. police officers, and that is true. Clyde had a hatred uh, for police officers and for for prison, you know, guards. Um, now, in what there was a, the scene in the movie, uh, his father in and Hamer are talking, and he says, you know. They basically kind of get a, a into debate about, uh, you know, are criminals made or are they born? Is it, a, you know, is just one wrong turn down the line? Does that, you know, condemn you forever? And his father says they, they put him in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. He didn't steal a loaf of bread. He didn't return a rental car. That was when he was first put into prison. But the 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 interesting thing is when you read about that i think we talked about that that he was uh, very much abused and beaten by guards at the prison that he was sent to he was just he was just a teenager uh and he may have in fact been raped in prison uh so he had a absolute hatred and loathing for the police and that did come out now the the other thing is is i'd forgotten about this but when we talk about and talked about this back in uh, when we did the first episode um it was actually, it came out in testimony from one of their gang members who was in prison at the time of their death that he said he never saw Bonnie Parker pull the trigger of a gun um, and definitely never saw her killing a police officer. And the film clearly shows her shooting at least two, maybe three police officers. So, uh, you know, whether you want to believe the word of a convicted murderer or not is is up for debate, but that is one of the controversial points is that, you know, there's still a perception that, uh, you know, that did Bonnie Parker actually participate in the killing parts of their, their rampage. It's known that she was involved in the bank robberies and the, and the robbing and things, but, uh, it's, it's still a debatable point whether she actually killed people. Frank Hamer said, you know, later when he was, when he eventually was asked about it and, and would talk about it, he said he did feel bad about shooting shooting her, especially when she was in a car sitting down and not able to defend herself. But he said, ultimately, he had to make that decision, and he made that call. So, Well, I think that, you know, that that's the thing, is with that the previous Bonnie and Clyde movies really, they spent a lot of shoe leather sympathizing uh, for Bonnie and Clyde. The Who's story. made him sexy? He's yeah. made him sexy. Yeah, and then to be sexy. fair, we even highlighted this in the in the early episode was that they were, um, how would I put it? They were the first real media stars, like media criminal yeah. celebrities. And I did find it ironic that Woody Harrelson 
you know, did um, Natural Born Killers all those years yes. ago in the nineties, and now he's playing on the he's playing the Robert Downey. Not even an art. He's playing a he's playing a flip side role in this movie now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. They were archetypes. You know, they became a byword for young thrill killers, basically. Uh, you know, a young couple. Uh, going out and killing and, and being, you know, being beautiful and doing that. So, you know, and, and, and Mickey and Mallory are definitely in the character archetypes of Bonnie and Clyde in, in so many ways. But this movie is interesting because this is more about the struggle of, it's really about the struggle between obsolescence and utility and being at, that being asked to do, Oh, is that one last ride? That one hard job? It's it's a uh, a trope of of westerns and so many movies, and so they really play into that. But but again, it's interesting because this really happened. These guys really were <laughs> put out to pasture, and then said, "All right, all right, youngsters, I'll solve this problem that nobody else can do." Okay, so so we talked about. We also talked about. I said I mentioned that there is. Um, some controversy uh, about this this portrayal of this film and the portrayal of this film and especially the the ending is largely based on ted hinton's book that he wrote uh in the 1970s after everyone had died uh ted hinton was the young the young sheriff's deputy who'd grown up with bonnie and clyde and so he is the one who had uh provided the information of that that ivy uh um hold on yeah that that Ivy Methven uh, participated in the ambush uh, and that they kept him uh, with them overnight uh, and that he actually, you know, in, in, in Hinton's book, he said he tied him up uh, to keep him from going off to warn uh, Clyde Barrow. Um, but that they all agreed, all six of the posse members and Ivy Methven agreed uh, that they keep it secret until everyone was dead and then the last person could reveal the secret. And so, you know, Ted Hinton's the one who did that. But Several people, uh, especially people who knew Ivy Methvin and knew, knew Henry Methvin, who was his son, who was part of the gang, have disputed Hinton's uh, account of what occurred uh, at that that ambush. But, um, you know, I think if you look at the if you watch the movie, um, the Bonnie and Clyde movie from the 1960s, it's not uh, Methvin. It's um, it's the character C.W. Moss, who is played by Michael Pollard who was kind of an amalgam character and it was his dad who was played by, uh, uh it was his father. It was played by Dub Taylor who helped set the ambush. So, you know, that, that version of one of the gang members, fathers, uh, helped set up the ambush is, is it was as was in the narrative, even as far back as 1967. So, you know, it, it is, you know, who knows how much is true or not, and think that there were there were character character driven decisions even in this film. So, so do you think? So okay. So let's put on our history hats for a minute. Other than a few glitches here and there, um, let's rate a few things on the history scale and in, and the Texas scale too. And let's the Texas scale. Well. So in, in terms of the, I would say historical accuracy in terms of the plot and the events that happened is pretty good, right? Yeah, it seems pretty solid. I mean, it's, it's especially the, the background of, 
you know, Simmons, the head of the Department of Corrections, and going to bat with with Ma Ferguson, who did not want to bring in the Texas Rangers. Uh, and that part, I think, you know, Kathy Bates was fantastic as Ma Ferguson. Oh my gosh, she was amazing. amazing. I would Indeed. watch a Ma Ferguson movie with just her in it. <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, then let me flip it to this one, because this was one of our biggest nitpicks from the Texas Rising show. Uh, how do we feel about the locations, the sets, the costumes? How do we do in terms of where we set the movie? Um, I don't know. It looked more like Texas than Texas Rising did. Certainly did. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I, I'm not sure that uh, Frank Hamer's house would overlook downtown Austin from across the river, which it appeared to. Uh, that was a very distinctive bridge across the river oh, yeah. that he's next yeah, that, to. I didn't buy that. I didn't, even know, I didn't even think it was. I thought he was in like San Saba or something, but I guess she mentions that she she lives in the same town. His wife, uh, who's played by uh, Kim Dickens, when Simmons comes in. She says, "We live mm-hmm. in the same town. We never see each other." Yeah. Um, so I guess he would be from Austin, but yeah. they seem like they live out in a farm, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I, I don't know the history of, of Austin. Whether that was still, um, you know, basically farmland right across the river from downtown, just south of downtown. But um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, okay. Like maybe I have a quick we're question. Get an email about that then. Before we before we leave. Before we leave Frank Hamer's farm, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Was that a wild boar or was that a javelina that he had as a pet? Um, that is a good question. I didn't get a good enough look at it. Uh, it was some sort of pig type yeah. animal. It, it, it did go in and out of the house quite, quite freely. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, so I think a lot of the movie was filmed actually in uh, Northwest Louisiana, um, and well, actually throughout Louisiana, and some in Baton Rouge, some in some in Central, some in East. So it's filmed throughout Louisiana. Which part of it was set in Louisiana? Um, yeah, I, in fact, yeah. the um, final shootout um, was shot in the actual location where that yes. occurred. Yes, in yeah, in Northeast Northwest Bienville, Louisiana. Bienville Parish. Yep. Well, and I can only imagine, and no offense to Louisiana, but I can only imagine that many, many, many parts of Louisiana's roads probably look like they did in that time period still. So well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of uh, r- rural Texas looks the same, too. Yeah, in, so in a when, lot of when ways. He, yeah. When he drove to uh, what was supposed to be Lubbock to um, pick up Galt, um, that, that could that look like Lubbock area to me. Yeah, and that part was actually filmed in Newcastle, uh, which is near uh, uh, Wichita Falls. So it's up there, up there in that area from Heller in the Heller High Water area. Now I'm going to point out just as just a non sequitur fun fact uh, that uh, I have note here. I need to make sure I mention there have been more than just the 1967 film. Um, yeah, there was a there was a miniseries a couple of years ago on the History Channel, right? Not only that, let me let me get to the good one. Then 2013, there was a direct-to-video film that I have not seen or ever heard of called Bonnie and Clyde Justified, and Hamer is portrayed by none other than Eric Roberts. Oh, and I guess he's a flamboyant showman who really uh, prides himself on his celebrity status as a ranger. Well, uh, <laughs> well, on the miniseries on the History Channel in 2013, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Frank Hamer was played by William Hurt, who uh, was not uh, interested in the fame and uh, was very self-effacing. So I, I don't know, you know, which probably Ooh. William Hurt's probably a better performance, uh, so. better closer to history. Yeah. I think so. Now it is, and a, and, a, and a fun, one last fun fact that the, or in that 67 performance, Denver River Pyle played him and played him to a comic in That's one thing, yes. And that yes. The, the family sued Warner Brothers. Yes. And won. They got a settlement out of court, we, so we don't know. But somebody wrote a big check to their family because they made an embarrassing portrayal of... Uh, by the way, well, they took, a, a, they, took a, they took a scene in history, which really did occur, which is that Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde did kidnap a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. They tied him up. They took his badge. They took his gun. In the movie, it's Frank Hamer that they do that to. In history, it was a sheriff in Oklahoma. So so they, they put a scene, uh, an actual occurrence but they applied it to a person who definitely that did not happen to. Right. I, my, my point is, is that Frank Hamer in reality was not, you know, uh, Sheriff Buford T. Justice. <laughs> he was not. He was not yeah. a comical uh, figure. He was a very stoic, uh, hardened yes. Texas Ranger. Uh, he was not the kind of person that you. He was not big on jokes. <laughs> Well, and he was also not, and he was also not a, a showboat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. wanting the wanting the 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 spotlight either. So, well, uh, I, there's also there's also Mike a t- a musical. Oh my gosh! In 2009, uh, the world the 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 world premiere took place in La Jolla, California, which is the center of musicals, and it was followed by an exclusive engagement in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> oh but it did go to it did go to Broadway in 2011. Uh, it closed after four weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh! We're killing cops. Um, I, I thought it was an excellent movie. I, I thought it was a very good movie. It, it's very well paced. Uh, it is very well acted. Uh, Kevin Costner is tremendous. Woody yes. Harrelson is always is is just he's in a renaissance in his career. Um, he's tr- fantastic. You know, Kathy Bates is amazing as always. Um, John Lee Hancock certainly gets the Texas tone, which, given that he's a Texan, uh, in you know it's to be expected. Now, now, Scott, you said there's a multiple connection to Texas City in this. Film. Is that uh, yeah, well, I, ha- I had a friend who's uh, was actually the cousin of John Lee Hancock um, that I went to high school with. Uh, but also uh, one of the um, smaller parts. Uh, you remember the part when they go to the migrant farm in Oklahoma, and um, they're trying to, you know, find out if Bonnie and Clyde had been there. And uh, Galt um, trades his tobacco for uh, some water out of the pump. Well, the individual that he uh, gives the tobacco to uh, is played by uh, Timothy McKinney, who uh, I also knew from Texas City. He was a few years ahead of me in high school, but uh, I know he now lives in Austin, and he's uh, it was fun to see him show up in this film. Well, that's cool. Well. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, the fun thing about the Texas Rangers in, in this movie is that after Bonnie and Clyde's uh, death and after Ma Ferguson left office, the Rangers were reconstituted and made a part of the Texas Highway Patrol as the Department of Public Safety. 
Uh, and now a uh, highway patrolman can promote into uh, being a Texas Ranger. Um, and actually today in the state constitution, uh, the Texas Rangers are legally disbarred from, or is there, it's legally, it's Ill, today in the Texas constitution, it is illegal to disbar the, the Texas Rangers without another constitutional amendment. So they are protected by law. Um, so that's good. Um, Manny Galt became went back to become a Texas Ranger uh, and, until he died in 1947. And but Frank Hamer retired again, uh, died in 1955. And then they are buried in the Austin Memorial Park Cemetery. Both men, both friends, are buried in the same cemetery. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I tell you, this, this, they did that. There was a lot of passion in this project. It really showed in terms of the production and the work. So if uh, friends with somebody who worked on the show, you know somebody in Texas who's tied to what they're doing, give them a high five. Tell them great job. Tell them we loved it. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Jabba. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like this show, we'll tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you, too, can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs> <laughs>